The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, and welcome to Tech Trader on Barron's Live. I'm Barron's Associate Editor, Eric Savitz. Welcome to uh, today's program. I, uh, my guest today is Ted Mortensen, who's a Managing Director and Technology Desk Sector Strategist at Baird, uh, which is a fancy way of basically saying that Ted knows everything there is to know about uh, what's going on in the tech part of the market. Um, Ted, just tell people a little bit about what you do, because you have kind of unique, a unique role at Baird that doesn't show up on the street very much anymore. Yeah, thanks, Eric, for having me, first of all. I think um, my role is looking at all of tech. And during earnings, I listened to almost 70 plus earnings conference calls. And then I put them into this roadmap, which is a, comp- a real competitive advantage for Baird and looking at technology from a holistic standpoint versus just a silo standpoint. Um, I've done tech uh, for 30 plus years. So I've seen every single cycle. This one's different from, for example, the 2000 cycle, but it has some similarities. Um, and then I try to get in the valley and talk to the private companies as much as I can because they're really the visionary companies that can talk uh, away from FD. And there's some brilliant companies coming in the, the new pipeline. So holistically, I've got um, a much broader view than probably a lot of people on the street. And I can see things versus um, potentially other analysts that are stuck in their silos and not may not be picking up uh, either macro uh, data or um, company-specific product cycles. So, yeah, I, I love what I do. And uh, quite frankly, um, I still have a, a big passion for tech and the cycles like no other. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So we've uh, we've had a, a pretty dramatic uh, start uh, to first half of the year uh, for technology stocks. Um, everything is up and to the right. The Magnificent Seven, the Largest tech names have had some of the biggest gains, um, and that's been driven by, I think, a few things. Um, we've had uh, kind of a slowdown in the interest rate, or maybe we're towards the end of the interest rate uh, increasing increase cycle, but also at the AI trend. And so talk a little bit about what you think the big drivers are and how we're set up for the second half. So first of all, I think what's happening with the market is you're seeing, just to keep it simple, Eric, you're seeing inflows in the market. People are coming out of retails, coming out of money market funds. Mm-hmm. I think most recently, just because of the CPI and PPI data, the writing's on the wall that rates are probably peaking in July. So um, there's also a component. Uh, I talked to some of the best tech visionaries on the institutional side, on the buy side, and um, it's a game of weightings. So if you're underweight technology coming out of Q1, your attribution is really being pressured. You're forced to go into uh, the companies that are playing generative AI, the best semiconductor companies, the best software companies. You have to bring your weightings up. Um, the third issue on why we have this uh, near-term melt-up is um, with the inflows that you're sh- seeing, 
the the shore covering is almost biblical. Uh, I'll give you a few names. I mean, if you look at Carvana or 3AI or names like this that are heavily shorted, and we can say anywhere from 30 to 50% of the float is short. Right. Um, social media is taking the, the short sellers out uh, um, and putting a lot of pressure on them um, almost on a daily basis. So you have a, a pretty material short covering strategy. Now, it, just in broad tech, what's driving this rally, rally is next generation uh, silicon. We can talk about NVIDIA later, uh-huh. uh, higher uh, content. We're also going into uh, a much stronger second half as it relates to ID, IT spend. We can go into that a little bit. Uh-huh. And then um, I think uh, as as you look at generative AI, it may be a mini hype cycle right now, but it, it, it could materially be a super cycle unless our politicians regulate it um, uh, aggressively. Okay, so let's talk about that first because I think one of the interesting questions here, uh, and I think we're on the same page on this, is just how big a trend this is, right? So we've gone through hype cycles of other things that haven't entirely played out. Um, you know, things like blockchain or crypto or um, I don't know, cannabis stocks. Like there's also, we, we get periodic sort of trends in the market. But to me, this feels a little bit more like more fundamental. I don't know if you compare it to uh, the advent of cloud computing or the arrival of the uh, uh, the, the internet and the uh, with the, the bubble more than 20 years ago or the arrival of iPhone. Like, how do you how do you characterize what we're seeing here relative to other trends that we've seen in the past? So this is probably after doing this for 30 years, and your your viewers should also know I have a I have an engineering background, which is even more dangerous. So I actually understand narrow and deep what these companies are doing, which can be a curse. I can be too early, but <laughs> This cycle uh, is the probably the most powerful cycle I've seen in 30 years because it will change S&P earnings in the 26-27 range through automation and orchestration. And what I mean by that is you'll just, and this is where the regulatory aspect comes in, which I, I can't, I can't uh, discount, but it is going to put pressure on labor. You're going to automate uh, and orchestrate pretty much every labor uh, induced um, uh, operation that you can. Uh, you're going to get huge operating uh, margin leverage. And more importantly, um, through AI and machine learning, this is the first phase. And your viewers should understand that don't lop in generative AI with AI and machine learning. The first phase of AI and machine learning, we've been doing it for a decade. And mm-hmm. it is been ingrained in a lot of software and hardware, quite frankly. This cycle of generative AI is different. And the reason why it's different, it's hugely complex. It's massively expensive, not only on the silicon infrastructure side, but the whole data stack, uh, the whole software stack of taking this massive amount of, of data changes. It's just it's, it's not an architecture that really existed two years ago. Mm-hmm. That's why it's a paradigm shift. And um, as, as the Global 2000 take their core data that sits on their enterprise and re-massage, re-massages it, it into a, 
um, a large language model that, for example, sits on very powerful NVIDIA, for example, right now uh, through the H100 uh, silicon they have, is the engine that allows them to mine that data and do it relevant. That is a paradigm shift. And um, uh, the other thing that I think is you're gonna see anybody in an organization, you know, having the access at their fingertips of AI functionality, uh, whether it be language-based or, um, you know, a uh, application graphic interface base, it's gonna get much simpler. So you don't have to be a developer to mine the data and to be productive. And it's just, it's a, it's a next move that uh, I think will change business models. So the biggest winner so far uh, uh, has clearly been NVIDIA, right? Mm -hmm. NVIDIA is the far and away, like orders of magnitude ahead of um, any semiconductor manufacturer in producing the kinds of chips, these uh, GPUs uh, that are used to train uh, large language models. NVIDIA has had um, a phenomenal run. The stock is... Um, has skyrocketed. Uh, you know, it's now a trillion-dollar market cap company, which a few years ago would have been a laughable idea that they, mm -hmm. that company would reach that kind of valuation. Um, and it feels like there's very little competition at this point in time. Um, and so it creates this question for investors, right? It, what do you do with Nvidia at a trillion-dollar market cap? Um, like, is it still something you you need to own? Are people in, all inclined to um, take profits in NVIDIA, they, of which there are substantial profits to take? Um, or is it just too compelling that you kind of need to own the stock here, given their crucial position um, in this uh, new ecosystem? You're asking all the right questions. So let's rewind a little bit and talk about Jensen, the CEO. Um, he's one of these visionaries that we talked prior on that will go down in history as you know, you can almost put in the same sentence of Einstein or whatever. He invested billions of dollars in R&D before this market even materialized. Mm -hmm. In the last three years, he has also built a software infrastructure that is AI-based uh, across almost every single in industry, whether it be biotech. And these are these data stacks um, that are really important because he's pioneered uh, auto, um, uh, robotics, uh, biotech, drug discovery, every single relevant industry, he has seen this company or seen this macro material in front of his eyes um, three to four years before his other competitive leadership area um, competitors, uh, they didn't see it. So he's invested billions of dollars in chip development into that software stack. And that's why it's got such a lead. Um, now, as we sit right now with the expansion of what Google's doing with BARD and with what Microsoft is doing with chat uh, GPT, you have validation. So mm -hmm. I would give you, this is so early in the cycle. So if I have to give you a baseball analogy um, before a, a twilight doubleheader, where we are in the cycle is the grounds crew have not even got to the stadium yet to rake the infield. So we're very, very early. Um, and they are in the catbird seat, not only on software, 
but also um, uh, silicon. So that's number one. Number two, they power some of just recently, uh, they have now powered um, Oracle's OCI, that's Oracle uh, Cloud Infrastructure. Mm-hmm. That is showing amazing growth. And for your viewers, Oracle basically is the back end of TikTok. So you can, but also their applications on ERP that are running on NVIDIA infrastructure are so powerful, they have better performance, better power, and that that leads to lower consumption rates. And for an enterprise um, uh, entity, that's very important. Google's using them on infrastructure. Microsoft's using them on uh, infrastructure. AWS, they're using them, but they're also going their own chip development. So they've cornered the market. I think when they reported last quarter, um, the jaws dropped, including mine, when when the guide was for seven and it was 11. (laughs) It was remarkable. Right. Billion dollars in sales. Is what it's remarkable. Doing. I've never seen it in my career, to be quite honest with you. But I think as you go into this initial stage, everybody's going to have to build infrastructure on how, for their own corporate entity, how they move into this uh, generative AI world. This is going to go on for quarters. And right now, they're the biggest game in town, followed by AMD that has this M300 chip. And um, long-term, the cloud titans will start designing their own silicon because they-, they Well, they, and they already are, right? I mean, yeah, they, they are, and they don't they want to be captive to one vendor. So um, again, we're, we're doing this in the US. And I think what your viewers also should know is the US from a cloud infrastructure and AI perspective, I'm going to throw out a, 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 a stat. It may be accurate, it may not be accurate, but the, the amount of focus in the U.S. on both of these macros, we're probably three to four years ahead of any single country. In Europe, I would say we're probably four to five years ahead um, of deploying and utilizing this, this um, technology. So the global opportunity here is so large that uh, Jensen put a $1 trillion restructuring dollar spend on it. So that's a cycle I've not seen in 30 years of my career. So to answer your question in a roundabout way, you let you gotta let the chips run. Okay. So so it raises a couple of other interesting questions. Um uh NVIDIA of course does not manufacture anything. They right. do the designs, they sell the chips. The manufacturing is largely done by Taiwan Semiconductor, right. which reports earnings Tomorrow, I think uh, they're on Thursday. They're on Thursday, um, and of course, they are. They are also kind of a um, a crucial player uh, in this uh, infrastructure because there are very few other ways, uh, places that can produce uh, the kind of high um, uh, uh, high end chips that are required, like Nvidia's, to do uh, to do AI um, to do generative AI. How how are people looking at that? I mean, there's sort of this side story with TSMC, which is uh, a geopolitical one, right? So uh, we don't know what would happen if China should decide uh, to, you know, invade Taiwan. What would happen to TSMC? Um, but they really have this unique position. And then on the other hand, some of TSMC's other end markets, in particular, um, processors used in like like handsets, 
Uh, that has not been a good, uh, the, the demand, demand there has not been uh, good. And so how do you think about TSMC? Is that another stock that people just ought to own uh, for its unique elements? Um, this is very controversial. I, I have people that uh, literally cannot own it because of geopolitical. And you, you saw what Warren Buffett traded totally out of their position because of the China-Taiwan issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I have other accounts that uh, they're two nodes ahead of Intel or anyone else. Samsung's the only other foundry that can do this. So um, if you want to play that generative AI issue, um, it, it it's probably better playing it other ways than TSM, just because last quarter um, they have auto exposure, they have lagging edge exposure. Um, handsets are 34% of revenue. And uh, you know per, our checks internally are not great on handsets or PC. So this high performance compute category, which is 44% of total revenues, they've really got to hit it out of the park. The other thing that TSM said last quarter is they're, they're running through higher inventory and inventory was supposed to be cleaned up in Q2. Mm-hmm. Last quarter, they said it's, it's going to be, it's going to go into Q3. So um, it's, it's um, I think people may be just a little bit ahead of um, extrapolating 44% of revenue, saying it's the majority of the company. It's not. Now, TSM, through the U.S. government support, is also utilizing um, uh, a new fab in Arizona that will be completed roughly in the 25, late 24-25 area. Um, the U.S. government's going to be using it. I'm sure Apple's already trying to get that five nanometer capacity. I'm sure NVIDIA has some carved out also. When you look at generative AI silicon, this is a national security issue. So I'm sure that NVIDIA will transition a lot of their, a portion of their capacity out of Taiwan into Arizona. Um, So um, it is a concern. It should be a concern. I think the geopolitical backdrop is a huge blind spot uh, on Wall Street. And I should, the reason I have an opinion here, and we've talked about this before, Eric, is my background also is very different. Um, I graduated from the Naval Academy many moons ago, but studied China and Russia uh, history and also was a Navy, naval aviator that flew off the coast of China and Russia. So I, I know the political da- dynamics. I know the landscape. And my last tour before I left and went to Wall Street was with the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So I've got to look at the geopolitical uh, that a lot of people on Wall Street just don't have. Right. And I think it's a huge blind spot. So for some investors, uh, they just can't own TSM because of that geopolitical aspect. So they're moving in other areas to um, make sure they have the right exposure. Okay. Um, I want to just touch for a moment on something you brought up, which is you mentioned uh, NVIDIA's relationship with Oracle. Um, I actually got a question from a reader, a uh, listener, uh, uh, Marvin wants to know, um, uh, what to th- what to think about Oracle here? Like, are they back? Right. So Oracle uh, Oracle was kind of dead money, not really growing for like a decade, and suddenly is putting up really good numbers. Uh, to your point, um, OCI, their cloud business, 
um, seems to really be on fire um, uh, and apparently gaining share from AWS. Um, um, what's your take on Oracle? It just seems like there's still, the stock has done very well, by the way, but uh, in, in, in uh, this year, but there is a little bit of sense still that this is, uh, they're not to be trusted. They don't, they don't trust Larry. Uh, I, I, what's your what's your thinking on Oracle? I, I think that's the wrong wrong view. Oracle is now turning into the fourth cloud, and I think you have to look at differently for a myriad of reasons. OCI is on the second generation of infrastructure. They partnered with Nvidia, and Larry and Jensen are very very close, and they 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 share the same vision. I think where the streets really missing it is not only is OCI growing at fifty four percent. As you look forward, they bought Cerner, right? And the healthcare. They, have they are now in the process of rewriting Cerner's code to sit on OCI. And if you view that as this immense amount of healthcare data, they are over the long-term next five years to a decade, they could revolutionizing, revolutionize the healthcare vertical. And that's a little bit of pie in the sky, but I, mm -hmm. I firmly believe that's on their roadmap. Second, um, Oracle is, is really, um, if you look at the enterprise segmentation they can do on OCI, um, they can be a generative AI play with any corporation. And um, Oracle spent the last three years rewriting all of their ERP software to sit on OCI. So it runs, it runs more at a better performance, it's low, lower power, and they can, can actually um, charge their customers on a consumption basis at a lower cost. Hmm. So they are, they've got a tiger by their tail right now. And I, some of my clients just don't see it because they can't, they can't get past previous management. And I think that's a huge mistake. Um, Larry is you know, another tech visionary. We've got five or six of them uh, in this cycle, which is unheard of. And um, I, would, I would definitely do more digging on Oracle. Um, on the healthcare side, they're, they're gonna have countrywide contracts. So uh, this is gonna be a behemoth in five years and um, I would look forward, not back and um, any kind of dip, this has gotta be a core position in your portfolio. Okay, so um, that's helpful. So when, when we look at what's coming in the next couple of weeks, uh, mm -hmm. all, all, like all of the, well, all, all of the largest players are going to report. Then you get another wave of like J, of uh, July quarter ends uh, coming later on. But we have um, all of the big ones are going to report in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I want to talk about a couple of trends that uh, we're likely to see. So one, one big question uh, for, for the cloud players is uh, it's going to be, are we going to see a resumption in growth? So if you look at uh, Azure, from Microsoft and Amazon Web Services and Google Cloud, uh, there's been this recent trend in the last few quarters of clients optimizing their cloud spend, which, was a, which is an, a euphemistic way of saying they're trying to not spend so much, uh, or they're trying to get more from their spend, maybe uh, more accurately. Uh, and the street is um, optimistic that we're going to see that trend um, kind of play out maybe another quarter or so and then get some rebound. Um, and meanwhile, you have this new uh, new thing, right? Uh, uh, AI um, 
uh, is a is a crucial opportunity for all all those players. How do you think that plays out? What do you think we see uh, from these three companies on that front um, in the next week or two? Well, I think if you look at we were growing uh, cloud infrastructure post COVID at a thirty five percent to forty percent growth rate. That's not sustainable. So there's a tremendous amount post during COVID and post COVID that we had to build out this infrastructure for collaboration and, and work from home and that whole nine yards. Right. Now, um, with higher rates and cost of capital, this optimization issue with enterprise spend uh, is still going on. Um, for example, uh, I uh, hosted um, three very, very large um, chief information officers at, uh, at our conference in New York about a month ago. Mm-hmm. And um, Microsoft is now becoming a line item on budgets. So um, there's only- so They get to be their own line item now. Yeah, yeah. So they control the enterprise and that's right. why the stock is you know, a pure play on all of this. Um, Google and Amazon, uh, you know, are more public cloud plays and they don't have the hooks in the enterprise like Microsoft has. Um, these IT budgets are somewhat fixed. So when you go over your cloud spend, you now have to get a hold of those costs. And that's where we are. I mean, now on the generative AI area, any CEO on a Fortune 500 company has got to find money for test beds on generally generative AI, or they're going to be left in the dust. Mm. So I think that you'll see in the next couple quarters, um, you'll probably see a trough in that optimization spend. Um, I think uh, pressure on IT budgets were very distinct in first half. Mm-hmm. The second half looks much better. I think that optimization um, headwind will moderate. So I can't tell you when the exact bottom is on cloud spend, but it's, you know, it was definitely Q1, maybe it goes into Q2, but into 24 and 25, we're going to accelerate. And I think where that spend is going to come out of is legacy. So that's where my clients right now are trying to avoid every single legacy IT spend, whether it be you know, old hardware, old storage, old networking. I, in some respects, um, that huge behemoth um, enterprise infrastructure, I think is going to come under pressure in the next couple of years. So one thing we've seen uh, is, uh, uh, so I guess the last real earnings from a technology company was Accenture, uh, yeah. which showed some softness on the consulting side. Um, that raises some interesting questions for IBM, which reports tomorrow, um, right. and for some other uh, legacy players that still have a substantial uh, services component to their business. Are, is that a worry on the street? It is. It, it, it's a near-term worry. So let's recap. Uh, Central reported maybe uh, three weeks ago, and uh, their uh, bookings were $17.2 billion off the top of my head, and that was way below the street. And to put this generative AI for your clients into perspective, the reason I say we're in a kind of a mini hype cycle is generative AI, our best guess is it really starts to hit the models in 2025. So right now we've had a massive run 
Right. And this happened in 99. So I had a few body parts blown off in that cycle. So uh, I don't want to be too cynical, but I, I think taking your foot off the gas on some of these valuations, just in the, in the very near term, I use this analogy that if you have a red Dodge, you can't call it a Ferrari. And valuation matters. And right now we're at the upper end of ranges where rates are. So, but with that said, um, uh, Accenture did not have a good bookings quarter and their generative AI backlog was 0.1% of their total backlog to put it in perspective. Oh, interesting. So it's so early. Now, will they become a major player? Yes. Uh, but um, IT spend is being scrutinized and I can see it in every single software report last quarter, large deals were getting scrutinized by the C-suite. And I don't, I think you're going to still see that, but I think budgets in the second half will loose, loosen up a little bit. And then we move into September where you have the federal flush and then the enterprise flush in Q4. And that's more of a tailwind, but it, it's still an issue. Um, the other name to watch for your viewers as they report, um, EPAM missed right around. Uh, that's another IT services uh, place. And, you know, granted, their exposures are in Eastern Europe, but um, CDW should watch also. Um, this is a, one of the best VARs uh, in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, they deal with um, uh, smaller enterprises, SMB and the government. They took their IT spending from flat to down 8%. If you see that sequential reacceleration, that'll be a positive, but we don't know what they're going to say until they report. So one other thing that happened recently is um, uh, almost simultaneously, we got some ugly guidance from Nokia and Ericsson. Yeah. And that triggered a pretty broad sell-off of anything that remotely looks like they sell to the uh, to the telcos. And, yeah. and it sort of took down with it a bunch of other networking names and on the other hand, I think there are some networking names um, that that really play to these uh, to, to the cloud providers that are going to be driving AI growth. You think about like Arista jumps to mind, for example. I, I wonder um, what your takeaway is from that whole uh, situation. Um, if you look at and I like I said, I sit on so many calls. So if you got to stitch together this, the telecom analysts may see this, but the semi analyst has no clue what Nokia or, or Nokia or Ericsson said. Right. Um, they are digesting equipment right now. So we had a shortage. Supply chains got better. Uh, supply normalized. And now we've got equipment that they put on order, whether it be from Cisco whether it be from Calix, whether it be from Sienna or whatever. Now they're just getting inundated with equipment. Right. So when that happens, they just don't have the people, quite frankly, to integrate it. Mm -hmm. um, so they pause and push. They push out an, the next equipment order. To your point on generative AI, in my, my humble opinion, there are two names uh, that are really picks and shovels here for the long term. One is Arista, one of the uh, ANET. It, it's, uh, it is uh, the number one cloud provider of networking gear to the cloud titans. Mm -hmm. so it's it's almost half their business is Microsoft and Meta. Yes, uh, yeah, exactly. 
So last quarter, Microsoft said, we will spend a ton on equipment this quarter for generative AI. That should be a tailwind for Arista. Right. The other name that I think has gotten beat up that, um, quite frankly, their largest customers are Verizon and AT&T, and they have huge backlog, but they are seeing push-outs from the traditional carriers as they integrate this equipment. And it's not easy to, I mean, this is leading, bleeding edge um, optics. It, you just don't plug it in. I mean, it takes some time to integrate. Is Sienna, they have, um, I, to tell you how old I am, uh, um, I, we were on the cover when we took Sienna public. <laughs> and so I'm ancient, um, but Sienna has some of the best optical know-how and 22% of their revenues are sold into the Cloud Titans. They're coming out with a, uh, a brand new product called WaveLogic 6 uh -huh. that will be coming out in Q1 of next year. And that's a pure generative AI play. It's at 1.6 terabytes of throughput. And if if you if you put together the pieces of the puzzle here, yeah. you need that throughput to make generative AI work. And um, I, I I think the street is is um, is more focused on backlog, which I understand. But long term, over the next two to three years, that's the other name I would uh, definitely focus on. Okay, um, I want to touch on a few more things before we wrap this up. Sure. Um, one, one uh, that I have trouble understanding the dynamic of right now is uh, the largest company of them all is, is Apple. Uh, $3 trillion market cap. Uh, the stock has had a big run this year. The company is not growing. I mean, the, the revenues are going to be down quarter uh, year over year in this quarter. Um, we're, you know, the, there's some excitement about their, uh, their, their VR headset, but I don't think uh, that's not going to impact uh, the financial financials of the company like who knows when if ever and we're going to wait for a new iphone cycle it's a consumer largely consumer business in terms of who their clients are what is the story with apple why is the stock so strong and what would you do with it here okay the reason why the stock is so strong is a very large component on both uh, etfs that retail buy right okay as well as institutional weightings so as money gets thrown into tech, uh, it gets thrown at Apple indiscriminately. Right. And to your point, this breeds a, a tremendous opportunity for an active manager. So uh, personally, I don't get it either because I've listened to Apple calls for 20 years and their growth is decelerating. So on the negative side, they have 18% exposure to China. We're an economic war, war at China. And China's trying to get Honor, which is a, a handset OEM. Um, they're targeting Apple domestically. So I think China, number one, is an issue. Number two, supply chain, all the supply chain uh, data points, whether it be from Foxcom all the way to components, handsets are weak globally. So that's for Apple, that's 54% of revenue is handsets. Now let's look at the other components that are weak. Mac, 8%, PCs are weak. Um, iPads, another hardware pull in during COVID. So mm -hmm. you've got 70% of their revenues facing consumer headwinds. Now, as it relates to the ski goggles, 
uh, we call I call them ski goggles just <laughs> because they, you know, I, I they're ahead of their time. They're incredibly complex to manufacture, and they've already lowered expectations there. The other the other hope on Apple is services, and I think the consumer is rationalizing every single subscription they have due to inflation. So it's not like the QE days where money was free. We're going into QT. So put that in perspective. The Fed is draining the punch bowl, not only for the consumer, but everybody else. So liquidity is going to go down. Lastly, um, they do not talk about AI, which is just mind boggling to me. Um, they control the majority of subs due to the lack uh, or the lock-in of the Apple OS. I, I, I have a, a brand new Apple phone. And the only reason I bought it is because my other one died on a battery. So the innovation on the handset side, for me personally, I'm kind of disappointed with it. There's nothing new. I, I think it's a maintenance upgrade. Mm -hmm. You look at what Samsung and Honor are doing with flip phones where the, the screen basically expands and it's a foldable phone. Apple's not there yet. So my point being is um, if there was one name, I would, as an active manager, if I was pushing buttons, uh, this is one I'd be getting underway because I don't know what to pay for a company growing at 2%. And yes, they have good cash flow. Yes, they have margin leverage with better components. But um, when, a, when, a, when one name is greater than the Russell 2000, uh, on market cap, I think there's uh, better opportunities that people are pure plays on, you know, uh, technology cycles and really have an unbelievable product cycle that can uh, boost the model. I just don't see it in Apple, but I, I may be the skeptic in the group. But I have institutional clients that are also scratching their heads. They don't get it either. Interesting. The um, uh, so. I'll I'll just do one or two last ones in order because we're uh, we're over time as it is. One yeah, question, one thing I'm curious about is you're thinking on semiconductor equipment. Now you talked about you know uh, Intel building out a new fab in Arizona. They're also going to build a new fab in Ohio, and Micron's going to build a new fab upstate New York. It's going to be like mega size to 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 make memory chips. We've made this a uh, like a government. Um, goal right to reduce our obligation on uh to to um to uh, uh, non-us uh, chip manufacturing mm -hmm. and yet um these stocks have um uh a very uh, sort of mixed uh uh outlook because of the near-term pressures on their businesses uh, so you have like this near-term problem with there's excess capacity and then a long-term outlook that looks fantastic. And I, I wonder how that's translating into the way people are, are looking at the stock. So let's, let's pivot and go back to last year, the second half of last year, when the Department of Commerce restricted all equipment below 14 nanometer to China. Right. That's like saying, uh, I'm going to take the wheels off your car and you can have a nice drive home. Um, the, the next generation nodes are seven, five, three, and two. Uh, at three and two nanometer, that's where the AI chip components come right. in. So basically what we've done through government action is saying, China, you can't play. That's a red line. And I, I, the general US public is not putting this two, two together. Uh, China will retaliate 
in multiple fashions. Now, recently, the other issue is um, the Micron sequester on saying they were a cybersecurity risk. So 10%, 10, 15% of their revenue goes away in China. So the, the third thing is NVIDIA AMD has been restricted to sell into China. So right. let your viewers know that we are in an economic warfare um, um, uh, scenario with China, and it's got to be understood. Now, with that, to your point, the U.S. government under the Biden administration, I think, is doing something very, very smart. They're giving incentives to re-platform and resupply into the U.S. Mm-hmm. And that's not only happening in the U.S. Look what Micron did, for example, in Japan. Look what's happening in, in South Korea. Look what's happening in Europe. This re-platform cycle are basically new fabs and they hit in 25, 26. So generally it takes three-ish years to build a fab, right? Mm-hmm. So the amount of equipment on this resupply is gonna go on for a couple years. And that's why people are buying it. The last thing, if you look at Lamb, for example, who has LRCX as a ticker, look at the chart, uh, memory has been in a one of the worst droughts in 20, 30 years. Uh, We're now at maintenance costs. Generally, the institutional buyer will buy when things are looking at the the worst. I I call it the buy from the fearful cycle. When it it can't get any worse, they load up on these names because your second derivative, this is quarter to quarter, can only go up. It can't go down anymore. And that's the other reason why everybody's getting into these names because the comparisons are, I mean, you could walk over the comparisons are so easy. So, um, and then you go into generative AI and you look out a few years, um, the uh, memory content will be up 8X from traditional. Right. So you can, you can really hang your hat on a few strong macros and that's why they're up. Are they ahead of themselves? In the near term, in the near term, they may be. It'll be very interesting uh, tomorrow morning on ASML when they report on what they say on, for example, um, uh, that's a that's another monopoly on what's called EUV lithography. You can't right. go to these AI chips without their technology. They are a true monopoly. It depends what they say on China. China's like I'm off the top of my head about 13, 15 percent of revenues. Um, I don't know if there are fabs that are going to have pushouts, but that's why we listen to conference calls. Okay. I'm going to do one last question. I'm really pushing it on time here. I'm don't the worry. Producer, making the producer angry. Um, so um, one of our uh, viewers asks, um, uh, the name is Sheldon, wants to know uh, what you think about Cadence. Now, I, I think it's, an, it's, it, it's kind of a sneaky play on AI, right? No, it's, it's fantastic play. Uh, talk, talk about Cadence and... Uh, um, uh, and your view there. So in, in that EDA area, which are tools that design next generation silicon, it's, it's a duopoly. It's a duopoly, a worldwide duopoly. And the institutional investors love duopolies because they can charge more. There's no pricing pressure. And they can actually control the market. 
So your bookend to cadence is synopsis. The reason why cadence is, as well as synopsis, but cadence as a pure play, their new products have AI embedded. So if you're working on a three nanometer chip that is incredibly complicated, um, very complex, they can use AI to actually optimize designs in the front end. So the time to development goes down materially. Now, why is that important? Cadence enterprise agreements generally go for three years, mm -hmm. okay? A lot of these renewals are coming up next year. Next year, when you have to buy the AI tool, the ASPs are two, three, four X higher. So there's a huge tailwind on these renewals due to their AI functionality. Second of all, they're getting into simulation technologies. Um, management is extremely smart and knows where the market's going. And as you look at the cloud titans um, developing their own silicon out of uh, trying to diversify themselves out of NVIDIA, uh, the biggest beneficiaries are Keynes and Synopsis. Um, so you're looking at a 15 to 15 to 20% grower uh, on the top line, but more importantly, their operating margins just explode mm -hmm. on this um, enterprise upgrade cycle the next following years on higher ASPs due to AI. So it is a, you're, you're correct, it's a sneaky way of, of, of playing generative AI, but a very powerful one. Thank you so much. I could keep going, but um, That's fun. We, we, we're, we're going to stop here. Uh, we will have you back again soon. Thanks, Ted, so much for being okay. with us. Uh, All thanks right. Thanks, thanks again. Great chat. Thank you. And please, uh, to, to our audience, I ask, please join again tomorrow. Um, uh, Market Watch real estate reporter, um, Arthi uh, Swaminathan, uh, will be talking to the um, uh, real estate writer, Richard Kallenberg, about residential zoning policies in America. Thanks to everyone for being with us today. Be well and stay safe. Thanks very much. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.